0: As we get started today, we are going to continue our series on prayer. We're going to be looking at dependence on God in prayer. We're going to still be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And as we begin, uh, I want to talk to you about just some things that we depend upon, right? Uh, One of the things that I thought that we all depended upon uh, is food, right? Uh, As you can tell, I may depend upon it a little too much. It's a joke, you can laugh at me, I know I'm a little chubby, I'm built for comfort, not for speed, That's okay. But as we think about things that we depend on, food is one of the things that comes to mind most immediately, right? Uh, If you've ever spent some time fasting, whether it's as God would command us to, or perhaps you've got a medical procedure coming up, there's one thing that sits on your mind as you're fasting, and that is everything that you want to eat. You start thinking about all the good things you could have, whether it be cheesecake or cheeseburgers, which are two different things, just in case you're wondering, uh, meatloaf, uh, fried chicken, whatever it is, you start thinking about those things. And as we think about the things that we need in life, food is most certainly one of them. We depend upon it. That if we go without food, what happens? We die. We, we perish. That We cannot survive without food. And so we depend upon it in our lives. Now, in that same vein, I want to ask you a question. We depend upon food for our lives. Do we depend upon God in that same way? Do you depend upon God in such a way that you would perish without Him? That question is for free, by the way. As we continue, we're going to ask two questions today that I want you guys to write down. And I want you to write down your answer to these questions before the sermon. And then afterwards, I want you to see if your answer to this has changed. These two questions will be up on the screen. And they are, when you pray, do you pray as if God can answer this prayer? Or do you pray as if you can answer this prayer? What I mean by that, are you praying prayers that only God himself can answer? Or are you praying prayers that you and your own self-righteousness and skills and giftings can actually fulfill? The second question is, when you pray, do you trust God to fulfill your request? When you pray, are you praying with confidence that God is listening, that He cares, that He desires to work in your life? These are the two questions that we're going to address today, and I I pray that we are going to answer them for you in a way that would allow you to look to God in your prayers and to truly trust Him to answer your prayers. Uh, As we get started, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. and We're going to read all of uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Uh, They read, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful we get to gather here to hear God's word. I pray that as we study the Scriptures today, that we would look to You to be the answer for all the things that are are ailing us in our life. That we would depend upon You as if You are our anchor in the midst of the storm. We would depend upon You as if You are the only thing that can sustain us. We would depend upon You as if You are the very giver of life. We pray that we would depend upon You in those ways because that is what You are. Father, as we study the Scriptures today, reveal Yourself to us. Let us see who You are and allow us to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost. Father, we thank You for these things and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys may be seated. So as we have been studying this series of verses uh, through the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus is teaching His disciples, He's teaching us how to pray. Now, as he's teaching through this, this is somewhat of a a prayer that you can pray by rote, by memorization, if you will. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus is teaching us is ultimately how to pray. You see, he's teaching us how to pray for God's name, how to pray for God's kingdom, how to pray for God's will. He is teaching us the priorities we must have in life in our prayers. Now, these are important spiritual items, right? These are significant for us as believers. Yet, Jesus then, in verse 11, urges us to pray for these earthly things, these human interests, specifically our physical needs. As we look at verses 11 through 13, I'll read it again. It's up on the screen. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Jesus is concerned about our physical state of being as well. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote on this, Our whole life is found there in these three petitions. And that is what makes this prayer so utterly amazing. In such a small compass, our Lord has covered the whole life of the believer in every respect. Our physical needs, our mental needs, and of course our spiritual needs are included. The body is remembered, the soul is remembered, and the spirit is remembered, and that is the whole of man. You see, we've had some pretty significant things be talked about already through these verses. Yet Jesus takes the time to begin to address our physical needs, our physical being. Now, as we look at this, we have to talk through this. Uh, He is talking through, give us our daily bread. He is addressing these physical needs. Now, many people read this and they think that Christ is still on this spiritual level, that uh, He is talking through things like this heavenly banquet, the heavenly feast that will be laid before us in the new heavens and the new earth. Others suggest that He's talking about the Lord's Supper, right? Others would even say that He's talking about that you need to read your Bible every day. Now, those are important things. Those are certainly spiritual things, but when we break it down into the original language, do you know what that word in the Greek means? Bread. Wheat. Food. He's addressing specific physical needs right now. That Yes, ultimately it is a spiritual issue, and again, this one's for free. All things in life are spiritual. That everything you do is connected to the work of God in this world. That whether you eat, whether you play guitar, whatever you do, it all relates to the work of Christ. But in this verse, Christ is asking about some physical needs. He's concerned about certain things such as, do you have enough to live off of? Right? Do you have food in the pantry? Are your lights still on? Is your roof leaking? He's concerned about those things. He's also concerned about if you're being cared for by the Father. You see, this shows us that God Himself is concerned about your physical well-being. That He's concerned about you having your needs met. And then He would ask this question, if you're not being cared for by the Father, why haven't you come to Him yet? You see, what Jesus is trying to address is that there are certain physical needs that must be met in your life. And that the only person who can truly help you fulfill those physical needs is God Himself. That everything you have, everything you think you've earned, everything that is in your possession has been given to you by God Himself. It has been provided to you to care for you and to, to see you prosper in this world. You see, Jesus is addressing this hard issue of dependency in our lives. And I know that that runs so countercultural to our world today, right? Where we're all self made people. I mean, many of you have started your own businesses and are thriving in that area. Some of you have done some incredible things. You've blazed trails that no one else has gone. You think that you're incredible, and let's be honest, you're pretty impressive sometimes. Yet. In the midst of that skill and ingenuity, in the midst of those achievements, you look at yourself and go, I can handle these things. I can take care of business. You know, uh, my lawnmower messed up uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, rather than take it to someone and get fixed, rather than uh, try and ask a friend if they could help, I said, I'm going to go to the source of all knowledge, that is YouTube. And I got on YouTube, and I watched several videos about how to clean my carburetor. And I took that thing apart, and I cleaned it, and it works like a champ, by the way, now. And when I came in, I told Kelly, aren't you proud of me? I did it. If you've heard my track record about creating things, you would be impressed too, honestly. But I came in in that moment going, look what I've done. How impressed are you? And Kelly's response was, eh, you're right." But that is how we approach the world. We go, look at me, look how incredible I am, look at the things I've done, look at what I can do. I don't need this God. Yet Jesus right here is saying, to get your daily bread, to live, simply requires you to look to Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing that we must address here in the midst of it is that uh, very often the reason we don't go to God in dependence is because we don't trust God. That uh, God is to be trusted as we look at this. Now, I know that we live in the era of fake news, right? You can't trust everything you hear, everything you see. I know that we are a very jaded, cynical group of people, right? That we have all experienced difficulty in the midst of interpersonal relationships. Quick show of hands if you've never been hurt by someone else. That's what I figured would happen. How many of you have experienced heartbreak and difficulties and struggles in the midst of your relationships that have caused you to wonder, can I trust this person? The rest of you didn't raise your hands. You lied because you've done it. We all have experienced difficulties in the midst of our relationships that cause us to go, I cannot trust this person. Or I cannot trust people. Yet God Himself is to be trusted. We approach God like He's any other person. I don't need to trust you. Everyone else has let me down. You're just one more person to add to that list. You're one more person who will fail me when I need you. Yet God Himself Will tell you that he is to be trusted. Why? Because he has been there in the midst of the brokenness. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. They'll be on the screen for you. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one and who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see, in these verses we see some significant things about Jesus. Uh, We see him described as Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, The the writer of Hebrews is pointing to this truth that Jesus was fully man and fully God. That he was fully man, he was born of a woman, he spent time on this earth, that he was hurt and and put in struggles just as you were. He was tempted and tried, that he experienced heartbreak and pain and sorrow just as you have. Yet he was also fully God, that is, that he was born of a virgin, that he was born to break the cycle of sin and death, that he was born to seek and save the lost, that his purpose behind being born was to unite God and man once again through his death, burial and resurrection, that his purpose in life was to experience pain and heartbreak so that we could experience eternal life. What that means is that we have a God who understands our pain and sorrow. The Scriptures tell us that He sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. We see Him described as this great high priest Now, give you a little bit of context as we think through this high priest. Maybe you haven't heard of that before. Uh, In the Old Testament, the way that you receive forgiveness, uh, that God's people receive forgiveness, is that they made offerings to God. And once a year, they had this high priest who would go into the temple, go into the Holy of Holies after days of being purified. And he would enter in and he would offer this massive offering to God for all the people of Israel to cleanse everyone of their sin. It was a big, incredible ordeal. Yet now we have a heavenly high priest interceding for us in the heavenly places. That there is no man we need to find to seek forgiveness. Rather, there is a God that we can call upon at any time, any place, any moment to receive that forgiveness. You see, it is because of this that we approach the throne of grace with confidence. You see, Jesus was a man like any other. That He experienced betrayal. Everyone abandoned Him, right? Except His own mother. And your your mama's not going to leave you. You knew that. But everyone abandoned Him. That He was a man who experienced heartbreak. That He saw those He loved die and could do nothing. He was a man who has seen the world at its worst and knew that He was going to one day change that. That he was a man who has experienced heartbreak and persecution and difficulties just as you and I have. You see, we have a high priest who understands our pain because he experienced it. We have a high priest who has been there in the midst of the mess with us. And it's because of this that we can come to him. You see, no trial is too great. No temptation is too strong. That Jesus Christ can't give us the mercy and grace we need when we need it, while we need it. That is what it means to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and help in our time of need. The only thing that we get when we approach God and seek forgiveness is mercy and grace. That there is never a conversation of, how dare you think you could do that? Who do you think you are? That mess is too big for me to clean up. But rather, it is always mercy and grace. Forgiveness is showered upon us. That there is nothing in this world that Jesus Christ cannot forgive us for. Let me say that again because I don't know if you know the significance of that. There is nothing on this earth that you can do that can separate you from Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, we have seen the world at its worst. I mean, from things from 9-11 to just things that happen in our community, we have seen the difficult things of this world. Yet in the midst of that, Christ is working to provide forgiveness and mercy. For all who would call upon His name. That we can trust God because He is a trustworthy God. We can trust Him because He always does what He says He's going to do. He has never changed His character. He has never changed His attitude. He has never changed His actions. That He has always done what it is He has said He would do. And what He has said He will do is to seek and save the lost so that they may find life eternal in Him. That this is who our God is. That there is mercy and grace to be found in Him. And so He is a trustworthy God. And that I know for many of you, you've experienced heartbreak. You've experienced pain. You've experienced troubles. And let me be very honest with you. That following God is not going to solve those things you will still experience heartbreak. You will still experience troubles. You will still experience pain. Yet, in the midst of those moments, you will know that your God has experienced them as well and that you can find joy and peace and satisfaction in Him. That you can go to Him and receive mercy and grace knowing that He understands that He has experienced it too. You see, our God is a trustworthy God, and that is why we can depend upon Him. We know that He is who He says He is, and therefore, we can trust Him to do what He has said He will do. And right here in verse 11 of Matthew 6, He says, I will provide for you. I will meet your physical needs. Now, as we continue to think through this, I want to continue down another uh, thought of thinking through why we can depend upon God. You see, we can depend upon God because He is our refuge. That if you have ever, ever experienced trouble and difficulties, hardship and pain, you look for something to rest yourself in. This word refuge is an older word uh, that it's a bit out of use today, but it means stronghold. Uh, That means fortress. That it's a safe place. When you think of refuge, you should think of something like a castle. That this is a place where you're defended from enemies, that though you may be besieged from all sides, you are safe. That is what a refuge is. We see this this concept of God being our refuge found in Psalm 46, verses 1-3. through This reads, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You see, the writer of this psalm is describing a terrible calamity, a catastrophe, right? Right? The earth is giving way. The earth is shaking. Mountains are tumbling into the sea. They're trembling. The, ra- the waves are crashing on the uh, beach. They are moving incredibly powerfully. This is a scene of the, uh, straight out of a disaster movie. And in the midst of that, the writer of the psalm says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Though the storm goes on around me, I am able to stand firm with Christ himself. God is our refuge in all times of life, but especially when it's difficult. Someone who knew that very well is a gentleman named Martin Luther. Uh, You may have heard of him. He was a a Catholic monk uh, back in the 1500s. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was a good Catholic monk in Germany that he's living his life. Things are are good. He's serving the Lord. Everything is going well. And then he begins to hear of some things that the Catholic Church is doing that he believes do not line up with God's Word. You see, he hears people of the Catholic Church selling things called indulgences. That is, free get-out-of-hell cards. Oh, you messed up? $500 and you're forgiven. Oh, you did, you're going to go cheat on your wife? $200, we'll take care of that. You're forgiven. Oh, you don't want to spend your afterlife in eternal damnation yet? You want to do what you will? $1,000, we've covered that. that. That's rather cheap, actually. But what we see is that the people are going around in the midst of the Catholic Church and they're saying, you don't need to be forgiven. Just pay us a couple of hundred dollars and you will then be forgiven. Well, like a good reader of the Word, Martin Luther goes to the Scriptures and goes, I haven't seen that. In fact, he goes to the Scriptures and sees several things that the Catholic Church is doing in the time and says, that's not in here. What are we doing? And he writes this thing called the 95 Theses, and it begins to get published and pushed around Germany. And the Catholic Church begins to hear of this and they go, who is this Martin Luther and who does he think he is? And it comes to a head in 1521 where he is there with the Pope himself in a castle in Germany. The Pope and the Cardinals, the leaders of the Catholic Church have all gathered together and they've said, Martin Luther, you are a heretic. The things that you're saying are false. The things that you are saying are evil. If you persist in saying these things, we will excommunicate you. That is, cast you away from the church, never to receive forgiveness, never to receive mercy, that you're cut off from Christ and his body. You are gone. And so they say these things to Martin Luther and he says, What do I need to do? And they say, if you repent of these things and publicly tell everyone you are wrong, you will be forgiven. And so Martin Luther says, in the midst of this moment, can I have an evening? I I want an evening to think on this, to pray about what God would call me to do. And so there, in this dank, dark castle in Germany, Martin Luther is up in the middle of the night, searching God's Word, trying to determine what it is that God is leading him to do. And he comes to this verse, Psalm 46. And he again reads these words that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You see, he is in the midst of a catastrophe. And he knows that if he stands by God's Word and says that you are wrong, he will be cut off from everything he has ever known. And so, in that evening, he reads these verses and he writes a hymn that you've probably heard. A mighty fortress is our God. That he writes this hymn in the midst of it. And what he is proclaiming is that though my world is about to end... That I stand upon the rock and he will not be shaken. And so the next morning he goes downstairs and the Pope himself says, Martin Luther, what will you do? Will you repent of your heresy? And Martin Luther says, Here I stand. Here I stand on the Word of God and on nothing else can I do. And begins the Protestant Reformation. You see, he lived the rest of his life as a wanted man as a man who the Catholic Church was happy to kill, to get rid of. That he would spend time being shuffled between village and village, writing his treatises so that the church may grow all the while while the Catholic Church is trying to get rid of him. We as Southern Baptists owe our heritage to Martin Luther, who protested, who was a Protestant, who separated from the Catholic Church. We are descended from him. You see, in the midst of the storm, Martin Luther said, I will stand firm upon this rock that is named Jesus Christ. That he will be my anchor in the midst of the storm. That nothing will take me away from him. You see, he understood three things about God. One, that God is a stronghold into which we can flee in times of trouble. That though the world is crashing down around us, we know we can go to God that whatever we are experiencing, we can go to Him and receive comfort. That it may not solve the situation, but we can go to Him. Two, He is a source of inner strength by which we can face trouble and calamities. That sometimes, even in the midst of the storm, God will not pull you away from that storm. Perhaps He lets you endure in the midst of it. Perhaps He lets you suffer in the midst of your time and hardship. In that moment, God has not abandoned you. Rather, what He has done has given you the ability to display the power of the One whom you have faith in. Not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the One that you have faith in. So that the world may see the One who holds you, who holds the earth together, is with you in the midst of this storm. And though the world be shaken, the rock of Jesus Christ is not shaken. Though the world is falling apart, he is still whole. Though the earth is crumbling around you, you rest upon the solid rock. That in the midst of your hardest moments, you are able to cling to Christ. You see, God is our help, even if the worst possible things we can imagine should come upon us. Someone who understood this is a a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, You've probably heard of her. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot is an incredible woman. Uh, She experienced so much hardship and tragedy in her life. You see, she experienced the loss of two husbands. Uh, First, Jim Elliot to the Alca Indians in Ecuador, whom, by the way, are now followers of Christ, that a church exists in this tribe. Because of the death of Jim Elliot. That he and two other missionaries died that day going to these tribesmen, So that they may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But she lost her husband that day. And then several years later she remarried Mr. Addison Letch. And she lost him to cancer. And when asked... What do you feel about this? How do you feel about these tragedies, this loss of two husbands, the hardships you've endured? She said, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. You see, Hebrews 13:6 tells us, "So we can confidently say, "The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That in the midst of the world crumbling around you, God will not be shaken, that He is there with you in the midst of the storm, and He is our refuge. Now finally, as we've thought about these things, that we can trust God, that He is our refuge in the midst of difficulties. Finally, we know that God cares about His people and seeks to provide for us. You see, verse 11, as we've looked at the book of Matthew, tells us it addresses our physical needs and by implication all the needs of life. That we are able and we are encouraged to pray for food and for clothing, for a house, for a good job, and for many other physical necessities. Like, the things we need, we can even pray for that bonus to come through. We can even pray for a raise. There is nothing wrong with those things. Provided we are praying for these things in God's name, in honor of His kingdom, to live out and honor His will. That there is nothing wrong to pray for those things. Now, this is not an encouragement to pray for everything that you want, but rather the things that you need. So, Troy, I don't think that you're going to get that sports car you've been praying for, but you can keep praying. You see, Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That does not say that God will supply all of your wants, but that He will supply your needs that you will not have to go without if you should come to him. And so you may still be asking, why does God care about me and my needs? Why would he care about little old me? Like, Why would he care about this singular person in existence in a world of over 8 billion people? Why would he care? Well, doesn't a father care for the needs of his son? doesn't a father care for the needs of their child? That even should Perry come to me and say, Daddy, I'm hungry, would I say, no, go kick rocks? Rather, what I'll say is, well, let's feed you. Let's care for you. When he says, I want dessert, I say, you don't need dessert. Go away. Good parenting. You see, we see in Matthew 7, verses 7-11, through these words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You see, Jesus has pointed to something here that we have to remember. That we as people are not naturally going to choose God. We like this thing called sin. We pursue our own desires, our own choices. We want to be God, not worship God. And in the midst of that, we are chasing anything we desire. And God says that even though you are evil and chasing sin, wouldn't you care for your child? That even you would provide for them. And so if I am God and I am greater than you who is in heaven, I am perfect and holy and righteous, how much more will I do to provide for you and your needs? How much more will I do to care for you? If only you would depend upon me. You see, the root solution of this is that we first must be God's children before we can come to Him. But you, you see, He references fathers here. That How much more will your Father in heaven do? And He is saying that first to come to me, you must first be a child of mine. That entails that we would say that I am no longer God, I can no longer chase the things that I desire, but rather I will chase the things that God desires. That I will then pursue Him and live the rest of my days seeking to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. That I would repent of my sin, that is, I would turn away from them, I would reject them and say, Jesus, forgive me for these mistakes. Forgive me for these sins. Allow me to enter into your family, into the kingdom of God, so that I may be your child. And then, as we are God's children, we are invited and even urged to come to Him. That He would willingly accept us, should we come. That He invites us to ask, here in Verse, verse 11, he says, give us this daily bread. He's saying, pray to God to provide for you. He is inviting you and urging you to do so. And God delights to answer those who do come. He receives joy when his children come and say, God, I need you. You see, we like to live in this world of self righteousness where we say, I can't believe I made that mistake. My father will be so angry at me. Yet the gospel tells us that we should then say, I can't believe I made that mistake. I need to call my father. That the gospel is that we come to a God who is loving and willing and merciful. We serve a God who is anxious to be known and loved by his children. This God urges us to come to Him. Band, if you would, I invite you back up. You see, this God urges us to come to Him. And so today we have an opportunity to go to our Father. That today, for perhaps many of you, this is an opportunity for you to go to your Father once again to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ, that He sought you out and He saved you from your sin. That He brought you into the family of God and that once again you get to rejoice in that good news. That good news does not cease to be good news, that it is continually celebrated and honored. For others, this is your opportunity to come to the Father for the first time. That even though you have struggled and experienced sorrow and heartbreak, though you wonder if you can trust anyone, though you wonder if there is any shelter here in the midst of the storm, there is one who is ready and willing to offer that shelter. There is one who will never fail you, who will never betray you, who will never let you down. And His name is Jesus Christ. That He came to live a life that we could not. That He came and lived this perfect life that none of us could. That He went to the cross willingly so that He could pay for the debt of our sin. That is, that we could find forgiveness in Him. And it is through acknowledging His death, burial, and resurrection and saying that His death had a purpose and that purpose was to forgive me of my shame and my sin, we then can be forgiven. And we can join the family of God and call God our Father. Let me make no mistakes about this for you. That if all you hear today is that God will provide for you, it begins with Him calling you His child. That until you come to Him and say, God, I want to be your child, forgive me of my sin, there is no other prayer He listens to There is no other prayer he's concerned with because what he wants is not to give you good things, but to give you good news that Jesus Christ has come to seek and save you. And so today you have opportunity to do that. Pastor Troy and Pastor Mike and Rachel will be here with me. That you'll have opportunity to come speak to us. That if God is moving in your life, that this is an opportunity for you to tell us what is going on and to seek counsel and wisdom. This is a moment for you to celebrate what God has done in your life. This is a moment for you to stand before all who are here today and to say, I am a child of God. And so I'll pray for us. And our band will lead us in one final song of worship. And as we proclaim how great is our God, that you're singing that as a child of God, not just a person in a crowd. So let us pray. Father, thank You for this day and for this opportunity we have to worship. Thank You for the fact that You have come to seek and save the lost. That we are here and we are able to depend upon You knowing that You are trustworthy. Knowing that You are a refuge in the midst of a storm. And knowing that You care enough to provide for us. Father, thank You for Your mercy. And I pray that today for each of us that we are able to approach the throne of grace in confidence that you will hear our prayers. That you will shower us with mercy and grace simply because you could. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay for the debt of our sins so that we could be a part of the family of God and that he continues to labor for us interceding before you. Thank you for the grace and mercy you've shown us. And I pray as we sing how great is our God that we would truly believe that, that we would shout that so that the world may know indeed of the greatness of our God. Thank you for all the things you've done for us, Jesus. And we pray these things in the strong and mighty name. Amen.